Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. On this program, I have the privilege to sit down with Julie Royce and discuss her mission with The Royce Report, which is a Christian media outlet reporting the truth about what's happening in the Christian community. We also want to talk to her about her book, Redeeming the Feminine Soul, and what inspired her to write about that. Now, Julie is an author, investigative reporter, and founder of The Royce Report. Her articles have appeared in World Magazine, Christianity Today, Religion News Service, just to name a few. She's got a master's degree in journalism at Northwestern University, as well as a bachelor's in history from Wheaton. Julie and her husband, Neil, live in the Chicago suburbs and have three children and one grandchild. Julie has a very interesting story, and you won't want to miss this. So let's get into the conversation now on this edition of The Victor Mark Show. Julie, welcome. And I've been wanting to do this broadcast and interview for a long time because secretly I'm a big fan of yours. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I actually have my Julie Roy's Roy's report cup, uh, coffee cup. Yeah. I pulled that out when I want to feel smart and informed. Kapow. (laughs) Uh. We we lost our cup, so I'm I may have to you know right <laughs> come retrieve that. Put it up on eBay. It's, uh, <laughs> what's intrigued me about you is that in the world of Christianity, um, there has been a unwritten but certainly followed uh, rule: don't challenge, mm. don't challenge this abstinence, don't mess with the machine, because if you do, you're messing with God's anointed, mm. and uh, a lot of other manipulative controlling factors where and and I, I say this with no disrespect especially since you wrote the book on being female <laughs> where are all the great manly investigative journalists that would tackle the hard-hitting subjects that need to be tackling and it's been pretty quiet over the years and yet you hmm. well i think in some ways I've had some leeway to do this because I'm a woman Mm. and because I've been able to take risks that I think would be hard for a man to do because your professional life, when you put it out on the line like that, you could lose it. Right. And so my husband has been incredibly supportive and behind me a hundred percent and I couldn't do it without him. And for example, when I first kind of started on this road, when I blew the whistle, I think the first organization that I really blew the whistle on. I'd I'd done a little bit of uh, investigative reporting before this, but when I took on the Moody Bible Institute Mm. and reported some of the the wrongdoing that I saw there, I was a radio host at the time at Moody. I was a national radio host. I had just published that book that you referenced. I was, you know, had the speaking engagements all set up. Uh, Everything was going great. I was going to actually MC Founders Week at Moody. So everything was going great in my career. And yet I felt like this was something that I had to do. And sure enough, within a few days of me blowing the whistle, the three top officers at Moody were removed, but I was removed too. 
And you're right, it's an unwritten rule, but we all know it. And we all know what happens to those of us who break that rule. And so that that is what happened to me. I mean, all the speaking engagements got canceled, the radio interviews got canceled. Um, and my book, the sales tanked and <laughs> that's right. just how it works, but I couldn't have done it again. It would have been much more scary if I had been the sole breadwinner for my family. And so right. I, I thank the Lord that he put me in a position to do that and gave me a husband who doesn't seem to mind the, you know, being at really, you were saying the end of the spear, you were interviewing somebody <laughs> who had done that movie. And, and sometimes it feels that way yeah. because when, when you take on the big boys in evangelicalism, the vitriol and, and the, the kind of pushback that you can get can be intense and yeah. the consequences are big. Yeah. If you're just joining us a few minutes late, I'm talking to Julie Roy, somebody that I hold with great respect and admiration for her courage uh, to do what she's, what she's been doing. And I think, you know, way back when you probably started out and appeared as a gnat to some, became a little horsefly, uh, moved to become a hornet, and now she is a jet pilot uh, because what she says, what you report and what you write is listened to now with respect by many. Uh, so it's it's really great to have you on the program. Now, sadly, you've seen an influx of not like anything we've seen in the past. Every once in a while, you'd see a, a Christian leader fall, fail, um, and it was just kind of part of the course. But it seems like of late, we've seen a deluge of failures, moral failures, crisis of belief, people walking away from faith that held a platform whether pastors, leaders, writers, speakers, musicians, why? Hmm. Well, a lot of them just came to light recently. It's not like they recently fell. You look at Ravi Zacharias. Okay, that's recently come to light. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that it should have been reported more widely and accepted yeah. and believed back in 2017 when the sexting scandal first came forward. Right. But that's been going on for decades. Yep. James McDonald and Harvest Bible Chapel, who I reported on, that was going on for decades. I think it got worse in the past decade, but that had been happening for a long time. And so I think we're seeing a lot more coming to light. I think that that is the difference of having an internet age where, you know, it used to be the only way you could get a story like that out is one of the gatekeepers would have to publish it. And now you can bypass the gatekeepers. It's, right. it's tough for a world magazine even. And World Magazine um, is probably the one magazine that's been most bold in that regard. But it's hard to get that, that story out there through world. It's hard through Christianity today. And I think Christianity today has made a real turn where they've started reporting, you know, doing investigative reporting. But for the longest time, Christian media was simply public relations. There was no reporting of these stories. And some of the stuff was well known. It was known in Christian circles, but nobody did the reporting of it. And so now we're seeing, I think, um, a lot more Christians and Christian media outlets willing to report it and bypassing again, these gatekeepers and giving an opportunity to do it. But I think too, that we've entered a, a very weird realm where we have Christian leaders who get these huge, massive platforms and, right. and really, you know, the megachurch movement that's come to fruition. And I think we're seeing that it may not be what we thought it was or what it was cracked up to be. And there's a very few, I think, people who that can handle that kind of 
stardom, that kind of power, that kind of money. Right. And uh, completely unregulated industry, right? There's no right. reporting of IRS nine, Form 990s. Every other nonprofit out there has to report IRS 990s, giving the top executive salaries what they do with their money. But if you're a church, you don't have to. And now we see a lot of these religious nonprofits, you know, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, for example, there's a, a key one, but a whole bunch of them have done it. Billy Graham Evangelical Association has now said they're an association of churches, so they don't have to file 990s, focus on the family. Uh, it's actually voluntarily, I think, because there was some backlash when they right. when they did that, they voluntarily filed the 990s, which good on them for doing that. Right. But I, I think there's a lack of accountability that now is, I think that's ending. And I think people are starting, I'm hoping people are starting to become a little wise to these issues of transparency and are beginning yep. to demand it. Um, but I think, I think you just have all these factors coming together and you have a church, an evangelical church that doesn't have a magisterium, right? We don't have anybody necessarily holding us accountable as far as our church structure. And so I think this is, this is an important correction and it's going to be painful. It's always painful. Nobody enjoys it. I don't enjoy it. I'm reporting it and I'm not like sitting back there like, wow, great. You know, it's, um, it's sad for me when I report on uh, a Christian leader or a Christian organization that has gone astray, but it's important and we're just going through a pruning and we're just going to have to, you know, take our licks, repent, reform, and hopefully come out of this humbled, but hopefully more godly in a purified church. I love that. And it's true. You know, our, uh, our way would be, it's time for the church to suck it up, buttercup, and and really realize we've done this to ourselves. Oftentimes people blame the enemy, but let's just talk about accountability. Accountability should start around a leader within his church, his, his small circles. I'm surprised on how horrible leadership is in churches, and then it provides them a bubble, and truly yes or men, and people fearful because they get paid and they can't, uh, my chief of operations, he's a retired commander, and he was at Delta. Ten years in Delta, 25 years in Special Forces, 1,000 missions, never lost a man, hmm. uh, Colonel Jeff Teagues. So I tell, I tell people, our relationship, because we do lots of heavy things, but I go, he uses the term often, he goes, Victor, when we're in violent agreement. Hmm. Uh, you know, we're, we're like this, but, but we're saying the same thing, we just got to do this. And without the fear of people going, well, he's the boss and I, I can't say anything, that's dangerous. Same with my board members, right? You got to have board members. Uh, some will love you more than others, but they're all for you and all for God. But I always, uh, you know, I like to keep boards small because big doesn't mean better. But the right ones, and, and I would encourage people who are starting a ministry or in church, I understand the need to protect donors. Uh, I mean, ISIS would like to know who our donors are, right? Because of some of the things we've done. But my goodness, what do we have to hide? Most of the time, it's just salaries and benefits. Yeah. It, you know, having an independent board and the right size board is, is a huge thing. I mean, these are the sorts of things that I remember I was talking to Warren Cole Smith at Ministry Watch about this at one point, and I was working on a story and he said, Julie, you know, you and I care about governance and ministry boards. Nobody else cares about that. You know, maybe 15% of our readers care. 
And I hope that changes. I know it's not the most, you know, exciting story to read about board governance, but I, I hope people are beginning to realize that your board, when you have family members on your board, and that's the majority of your board or people who are getting paid by the organization, that's not an independent board. And right. so you, you need to have boards that have that kind of independence so that when they do disagree, they can bring those disagreements to you. And I, I know I've talked to people and said on my board, which we have it set up, nobody who's related to me can be on my board. As the president of my organization, we set it up so I can't be the chairman of the board. Um, we've done some things like that. And I know not every organization does that, but because of what I've seen and I've seen how badly it can go, I don't want to be in charge of my board. I want my board to truly be in charge of me. And then I'll run the organization, but they're in charge right. of me. And so uh, that is critically important to me. And I've said, if I do something wrong, I love you guys. And I love that you love me and you believe in me, but you should be the first to pull me right. if I do something wrong. That's why you're here. We have blind spots and people can alert us to that or challenge us. Um, but listen to the wisdom this gal's given folks, because if you surround yourself with people who are just going to tell you what you want to hear, you'll start believing your own news pressings, clippings, and then you're going to be in trouble. Your ego and your insecurity will betray you. And that does give the enemy room uh, to hurt ministries and ultimately bring dishonor to God. So are you some type of professional gossiper? <laughs> Depends who you talk to. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right? You know, it's it's so funny that you say that though, because I just finished a piece because because uh, I've been reporting some things about John MacArthur, and John MacArthur is a, I mean, he's huge, right? I mean, he's probably one of the biggest evangelical preachers that there are, and so you go up against John MacArthur and. Again, I'm just reporting the facts of some of his board governance where he had two sons who were on the board for decades. One of them stepped down, not because of my reporting, but because he was charged by the SEC in this $16 million investment fraud scheme. Hello. Hello. Yeah. But his other son is, is his treasurer. I mean, that's some, some kind of funky governance there. His executive director, who's a key employee, is on the board. Um, his son-in-law gets millions in contracts. He has three homes, even though he preaches against prosperity gospel. He's, he's a very prosperous <laughs> person. And he's got three salaries that he's taking from Grace to You, from Grace Community Church, from the Master's University and Seminary. And so, and these are big salaries. In fact, one year in 2012, he took over uh, $400,000 from a ministry that he was working supposedly 20 hours a week for. So these are some eyebrow-raising things. There's some red flags and things that he should be answering. But he hasn't answered them. And instead, uh, I've been called by the executive director of Grace to You, a gossip monger, a ranker monster, a, I mean, I, I can't, I don't even know where he gets these names, these words. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's the sort of vitriol that I've gotten. And it's interesting if you talk to, which I've gotten to know several of them who do like image repair analysis. Right. And, and this is typical. It's, it's a form of denying and deflecting. It's, it's saying instead of focusing on the issues that were brought, oh, I'm under attack by these really evil people out to undermine the kingdom of God. Well, ultimately, that's what it comes <laughs> down to, right? I'm, I'm doing so good for advancing the kingdom and the gospel. Now the enemy's using these minions to attack me versus what happened to civil discourse? Because right. I've never read anything you've 
written or spoken on, that was vitriol. That was hateful. Well, hence, I think that is a problem in Christianity. Now, I'm sure you get that comment all the time. Stop judging. Stop judging. Where where do we get this idea? Is it from the scripture? You know, well, take the blink out of your own eye. and You know, it's interesting. At my website, I actually have a, a piece called Five Reasons Christians Should Judge. And we're, we're not told, you know, take, um, was it Matthew 7, that famous yeah. verse that's probably the most misquoted verse in all of scripture, don't judge right. or you will be judged. And with the measure that you judge others, you will be judged. So it's like the standard that you use to judge others, that's going to be used against you. And so you better be ready to take that plank out of your eye before you go to take the speck out of another. It doesn't say that as Christians, we're not supposed to judge. I mean, if you don't judge, you can't even figure out what church to go to because you have to make judgments about the church, right? I mean, it's, is their doctrine in line? Does it seem like these people are honest? Does it seem like they're hand, handling their money correctly? I mean, we judge all the time. We judge people's character before we have somebody babysit our kids. Of course we judge. We have to judge. As Christians, we have to judge. But the point is, by the same standard that you judge others, you should be ready to be judged yourself. And so am I ready for, I, I mean, I get this all the time when I publish on something. Well, who are you? I bet you're not publishing your salary. I'm like, mm, yeah, I am. Here's the document. It's online. Um, here's how we spend all of our money. It's online. Oh, you want to know that my board, they're not secret. It's online. We publish everything. We practice the same sort of transparency that we, that we want. But, but here's the thing, you know, I, I think that we are, Christians are the most gracious people in the world. And sometimes that makes us, and I hate to say this, but the stupidest too. Oh yeah. Agreed. I mean, so you have someone like a James McDonald, who is just a serial manipulator. And so I, I can see how somebody, if they meet him, could be taken in. He's a very persuasive guy. He didn't perpetrate the kind of things that he did at his church where he was taking money. He built an, <laughs> he built a trophy deer farm with money given to his radio ministry. How can you pull that off unless you're a pretty persuasive, manipulative person? I mean, but I remember it was 2013, I believe, that Harvest Bible Chapel excommunicated three elders. Now, the backstory is that these elders were the only ones that were still remaining at Harvest Bible Chapel of eight elders that had eight former elders, sorry, who had written a letter to the current elder board with a, a whole list. Of charges. In fact, I have this posted at my website. You can look it up. The letter that they actually wrote to the Board of Elders. How do we get to your website? It's just julieroys, R-O-Y-S dot com or the roysreport.com. You can use okay. either. They'll both take you there. Um, but again, this letter outlining a whole list of, of reasons why James McDonald was disqualified for ministry. And they said, you know, if you'd like specific examples, we're prepared to do that. And we have witnesses. Well, within 24 hours of giving this letter to the elder board, three, the only three that were still remaining at Harvest Bible Chapel attending there were excommunicated from the stage. Oh, my. I mean, for, for the next, what, six, seven years, James continued to bully people, abuse people, misuse the finances of the church. I mean, what seemed like, and again, as Christians, we're always inclined towards giving grace, right? We're, we're, we want to be peacemakers. But there's also got to be wisdom with that. 
And there has to be true repentance. There has to be true accountability. We can't just want things to happen. And so we believe them to be true. And, and I think it's really, really, really hard for people to come to grips with some of these people that they've really had on a pedestal, which maybe they shouldn't have on a pedestal. I mean, other than Jesus, that should be the only one on our pedestal, right? But it's hard to come to grips with the fact that these people aren't necessarily who we thought they were and to be able to face the truth about them. But I think it's critically important that we do and that we be, what is it, as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Yeah, you're listening to Julie Royce. She's one of uh, our favorite, I would say, courageous females who is a queen warrior in the world of Christianity who stands for what's right, uses critical thinking skills, is a gifted investigative journalist, and is willing to challenge the norm for ultimately the cause of the gospel and the kingdom. And that's why we promote you. That's why we not only promote, but support you. Uh, mm. you and I haven't always agreed with you on some things. I, I think once I correspond, I was like, especially when it came time for Ravi, because I, I remember yeah. you know, it's like, Julie, are you sure? And why? And I mean, the man's, you know, the man's changed his address, for goodness sake. You graciously mm. with civil discourse engaged and, and you always encourage those who read or follow you look deeper consider all the facts before making an emotional decision and i mean ravi by far is the biggest name in our generation to have such a a hidden you know sadly past and i obviously we work with counter trafficking and sex victims and people who've been traumatized and and i remember because on our social media platforms we reached 200 million last mm -hmm. year Wow. And uh, it's it's no small thing. So when I post something, I instantly get feedback and I get a pulse beat on everybody. And I mean, people came unglued saying he's dead. Why would you? And, I, and all I said was, has anybody thought about the victims who are yeah. still alive and will have to endure this? It's the victims and it's also the reputation of Christ. All I right. mean, it, those two things to me are, are just always in the forefront. I, I will say whenever... Whenever I'm reporting that the number one is the purity of the bride, the reputation of Christ. I mean, if we have leaders out there and Ravi um, out there literally sexually abusing multiple women uh, and calling himself a minister of the gospel, that that is that's horrible. And, and God cares so much. I mean, this is the thing. I think we've lost this. I think some of these scandals are an outgrowth of our theology. I grew up in a holiness theology, um, which has its problems. Um, I really didn't fully understand grace till I was an adult because of that. But I think both of those streams have influenced my life, you know, both the Calvinists and the, you know, Arminians. Um, I like George Verwer. I don't know if you know him. Um, sure. With, <laughs> oh, sure. He would say that he's a, a Calvinist with a mean streak of Arminianism. And if you know anything <laughs> about theology, that makes sense to you. But, but this whole idea, we are saved by grace, but repentance is required. Right. And there should be, you know, the fruit of our life should be that there should be change in our life. And I think we have forgotten, like I hear this all the time when you expose the sin of a leader, they'll say, well, nobody's perfect. Well, look at David. Well, yeah, look at David. What happened because of his sin with Bathsheba? He lost a child. There was judgment for God, but he did repent. There were consequences, even though he repented, but he repented. And I think we have to remember God cares about his holiness. He cares about the purity of his bride. He, you know, I, I, I remember when I was first thinking about 
about crossing for me, crossing the, the bridge over, or I should say maybe burning the bridge, right. um, was when I, when I blew the whistle on Moody in 2000 end of 2017, early 2018. And I remember that summer, my pastor was doing a series on the prophets and, and we were studying, you know, at one point Israel being taken into Babylon. And it just struck me that God, if he cared so much about sin and about the purity of his chosen people, that he was willing to humiliate them in front of the nations, then maybe God doesn't care so much about our PR. Like we're so afraid of, oh, let's, you know, what if the world hears how bad our leaders are, you know? And I'm like, good grief. God doesn't really seem to care that much about our reputation. He cares about his reputation. Are y'all listening to this? <laughs> I mean, th this is powerful. And that's where we need to care about that as believers. Yeah. That needs to be what drives us is his reputation. And then I think secondly, like you said, the victims. And again, reading the Old Testament, we don't read enough of the Old Testament. But if you do read the Old Testament, you will know that God cares about the disenfranchised and the vulnerable. And he expects us as believers to use whatever power and platform he's given us to care for the weak and the vulnerable. And so when we fail to do that, you know, it's, it's just awful. I do agree with you. And yet, uh, I still think you're kind of mean. I think you're kind of a meanie <laughs> and judgmental. And I want to talk to you about that on our next broadcast tomorrow. Can you hang around for that? Sure thing. Or are you scared to face the music? Not scared. All Ready right. Ready to go. Everybody, please stay tuned tomorrow for number two, day number two with Julie Royce. And uh, I look forward to it. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.